Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Life and death, 
blessing in person. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, we thank you for another opportunity to host Pro-Life Friday's radio, Lord God. Father, we thank you for our guests today, Lord God. And Father, we thank you for the continued opportunity to be able to get the message of life to the listeners and to many others, Lord God. Father, we thank you that though we may be different parts of the country, we're still unified. While we may not always agree on everything, Lord, at the end of the day, we are thankful that in Christ we are unified in the message of life. So we just ask that you bless us, bless the show, bless the guests, and bless the listeners. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. The hardest part, the hardest part of the week is that this show only comes on once a week, and sometimes it's a high news week, and I have to choose. I have to choose which stories that, to get talked about. And sometimes it's not the most important, but sometimes it has a message that I want to let out. But I want to tell you, everybody, this is not easy, having to wade through um, a high news week and having to choose something that uh, we can fit into such a short amount of time. So, But I want to get started. This is <laughs> – Thomas, did you know what happened on MSNBC this week? Well, like what didn't happen, but – are you talking about the Martin Bashir situation? Uh, absolutely. And I, I think I have never heard anything quite so shocking on television before. Um, I'm only thankful that it was cable news, although everybody has cable news, so I'm not really sure if that helps at all. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think this week showed us an absolutely appalling and sickening moment when liberal news anchors showed exactly the kind of filth that exists in their minds, um, and I kind of mean that almost literally, after insulting Governor Sarah Palin's intelligence, again, not the first time, MSNBC's most shameful Martin Bashir decided to take his hatred for her a step further by quoting from a 200 or so year old diary of a slave overseer in Jamaica and I want to play everybody the clip if you haven't heard it already but here's him talking about her and don't mind the music and we end this week in the way it began with America's resident dunce Sarah Palin scraping the barrel of her long deceased mind and using her all-time favorite analogy in an attempt to sound intelligent about the national debt. Our free stuff today is being paid for by 
taking money from our children and borrowing from China. When that note comes due, and this isn't racist, so try it, try it anyway. This isn't racist, but it's going to be like slavery when that note is due. It'll be like slavery. Given her well-established reputation as a world-class idiot, it's hardly surprising that she should choose to mention slavery in a way that is abominable to anyone who knows anything about its barbaric history. So here's an example. Yeah, thanks for taking the One bait, of the most Martin. comprehensive first-person accounts of slavery comes from the personal diary of a man called Thomas Thistlewood, who kept copious oh. notes for 39 years. Thistlewood was the son of a tenant farmer who arrived on the island of Jamaica in April 1750 and assumed uh -huh. the position of overseer at a major plantation. What is most shocking about Thistlewood's diary is not simply the fact that he assumes the right to own and possess other human beings, but is the sheer cruelty and brutality of his regime. In 1756, he records that a slave named Darby catched eating canes, had him well flogged and pickled, then made Hector another slave, S-H-I-T, in his mouth. This became known as Darby's Dose, a punishment invented by Thistlewood that spoke only of the slave owner's savagery and inhumanity. And he mentions a similar incident again in 1756, this time in relation to a man he refers to as Punch. Flogged Punch well, and then washed and rubbed salt pickle, lime juice, and bird pepper. Made Negro Joe piss in his eyes and mouth. I could go on, but you get the point. When Mrs. Palin invokes slavery, she doesn't just prove her rank ignorance. She confirms right. that if anyone truly qualified for a dose of discipline from Thomas Thistlewood, then she would be the outstanding candidate. by all the censors if he just spells out the four-letter words and directs them toward a conservative woman, can't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because we all know that the war on, woman, war on women doesn't include <clears throat> Sarah Palin. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah she's that. Oh. I am raising my hand right about now, and you can't see it, but... Did we really just hear all that? Is oh, it yeah. this the same? Oh, yeah. But 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 wait, wait, wait. When Congresswoman Giffords got got shot in that tragedy out in Arizona, wasn't this the same crowd crying for civility and no jump into assumptions and stuff? Absolutely. Where's that new tone, Martin? Where is that new tone? I don't know. I, I well, <laughs> why do I bring this up here? Um, it, it's a small observation, but one I think fits in with a certain, a certain overall. Oh, I don't know. A consistency I see from the super cranky left, like Martin Bashir. I mean Martin Bashir. Um, that is. Notice at the end, he expresses how he wants the slave driver's punishment to apply to Governor Sarah Palin. 
Time out. Mm. Wait a minute. No. Wait. Wait a moment. Hold on, Letitia. Isn't Martin Bashir from um, Pakistan? I don't know what country he's from, but how is that relevant? Um, it, it is relevant. It is relevant. Let me make this quick point because this just hit me when I heard that. If memory serves me correctly, the individuals who actually started enslaving black slaves, white slaves, and everybody else were Muslims. Pakistan is a Muslim country. Therefore, and this is my point, we conveniently forget the fact that the first slave traders in the, from the 1100s on, actually since before Christ and on, you had, they were Muslims. We need to be careful, Martin Bashir, what we say, but it's not like what right. we say is going to get back. No. But, I digress. Well, Go ahead. But him from being from Pakistan, I mean, Pakistan did not used to be a Muslim country, but that's neither here nor there. But I see your point. Uh, the, the, the observation, the direct observation, more more relevant to us here in the United States and less about his personal background is that he determined, he, Martin Bashir, determined that she deserves this kind of treatment. Well, mm-hmm. if she is the slave, what does that make Mr. Bashir? Ooh. That's right. Ooh. It makes him it makes him Thomas Thistlewood. And again, a liberal steps into the shoes of the historical party of slavery and death. Maybe on his off hours, he can join Alan Grayson at his desk to print out fundraising letters with a picture of a burning cross on them. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, uh, I, you know, ding, I wish I had a bell. I wish I had a bell. I, I know that our, our next iteration of uh, our platform with all the technology will literally have bells and whistles so I can ring a bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next story. <laughs> this next story is it's kind of shocking to learn about, but it's not entirely unexpected given this pattern of behavior that I'm referring to, that I'm constantly referring to. Senator Richard Blumenthal, if you haven't heard, Democrat from Connecticut, Connecticut has introduced a bill into committee, which ought to be named the Kermit Gosnell Protection Act. But, you know, it's, it's instead deceptively called the Women's Health Protection Act. Well, ser- well, okay, seriously. Seriously, I can't take this anymore. The lengths Democrats will go to calling things the opposite of what they really are. It's like a product made in China. Is this pet food? Oh, yes. It used to be somebody's pet. <laughs> Does it smell? <laughs> and the salesperson says, it's definitely, probably not antifreeze. I mean, really? Is This is what this bill is like. And Senator Blumenthal had this to say about the Hill. 
the bill, I'm sorry, the bill as reported in the Weekly Standard. Okay, the basic principle is that there can be no restriction that is not also imposed on a medically comparable procedure. Okay, so right off there, he wants to put abortion into the category of all other medically comparable procedures. If they, and so he goes on to say, if they single out abortion or reproductive rights, it's going to fall foul, which means it's going to run, uh, it's going to violate the legislation that he's writing up. Blumenthal told the Weekly Standard following his remarks that it's, quote, unquote, for the doctors to decide what counts as medically comparable. Oh, really? So yeah. what's a medically comparable procedure? Apparently, it's whatever. Literally, it's whatever. Abortion <laughs> is comparable to whatever a doctor says it is or whatever. And, you know, we don't use the term doctor to refer to abortionists, but that's what he's referring to. That's who he's mm. referring to. The doctors, meaning the abortionists, will determine that abortion is medically comparable to whatever they find medically comparable to abortion. The article mm -hmm. goes on to say, Blumenthal specifically condemned health and safety regulations. Let me repeat that. Blumenthal specifically condemned health and safety regulations requiring that an abortion doctor have admitting privileges at a hospital or that the hallways in a clinic be a certain width, which he says has no relation to health or safety. Hmm. Top officials at leading abortion rights organizations joined Blumenthal on November 13th in denouncing such health and safety regulations, which states like Texas and Pennsylvania passed in response to the deaths of women in abortion clinics like the one run by Kermit Gosnell in Philadelphia. Mm. So, so, this is why it should be called the Kermit Gosnell Protection Act. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Ah, wait a minute, before we get there. Blumenthal wants us to view abortion the same as any other medically comparable procedure, whatever that means. But, but, he doesn't want to place that, he doesn't want the place, the facility that abortion is carried out in to be treated the same as any other place that performs medically comparable procedures. He doesn't. Because mm -hmm. name, name one legitimate medical facility that doesn't have to operate under a battery of health and safety regulations anywhere in the country. Name one. Right. There are none. You can't, yeah. You, you can't walk into a public school nurse's office without that nurse's office having to comply with at least a minimum set of health and safety regulations in order to be a nurse's office. You can't walk into your local doctor's office 
without your doctor having to comply with a set of health and safety regulations. All right. But here he's saying, let's not have any health or safety regulations on abortion facilities because they're just like other things. Right. <laughs> wow. I, I, well, this confuses. This really confuses me. Aren't liberals on record consistently saying that health and safety regulations are of utmost importance? Importance. Yes. They legal and rare, but they say. <laughs> right. Right. Regulations are their guarantee. The only kind of guarantee they ever depend on that mm. that people are doing what they should be doing. Isn't right. this the, the long long arm of the government? Regula- they're all about regulations. You know, they'll regulate medical facilities. They'll regulate all your businesses. They'll regulate you and your health. They can regulate you from the moment you are conceived, literally, to the moment you die. And they determine those things. <laughs> right. Aren't they forever in support of tighter controls and more regulations and greater oversight everywhere? And aren't Mm. they the ones scraping walls for lead paint and measuring the widths of hallways and sending OSHA inspectors everywhere? And they're doing it for your health and safety? Right. Oh, but no, if it's it's an abortion clinic, it's a total hands-off approach because abortion should be treated like everything else. Oh, okay. I I just love the total turnaround and contradiction. It's 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 so fun. It's actually much fun to point out. It's not fun to live through, but it's fun to point out. But you know, I just raised yeah. the only regulation yeah, abortion facilities. Yeah. I was just gonna say, with fish, it's quite interesting that uh, the argument typically is that men should not tell women what to do. With their body, they have no say so in this issue of women's rights, um, so called. But when it comes to the protection of um, just basic protections in in terms of health care for women to protect them, um, they're completely supported um, in this move yeah. to uh, to keep women from being safe um, in these in these you know these places. And it's just it's so contradictory. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's so he's so concerned about abortion being safe and legal and rare that he's willing to treat it just like everything else, except have absolutely no regulation and oversight. Yeah, <laughs> 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 right. at this rate, the only regulation abortion facilities will have to follow is that each one has to be named personally by Wendy Davis in her pink suit and sneakers, wearing a catheter. Um, so, I mean, that's going to be the that's going to be the the way things go from now on. I mean, this is a, the most ridiculous thing. I really hope I hope that um, this doesn't make it out of committee. It probably will, but if it ever goes to the floor of the House, be I mean, I'm sorry, the floor of the Senate, uh, be be on alert for that. I'm just this is a heads up to everybody because what this is actually yeah. going to do. Um, what I didn't say about this is it's going to roll back every single pro-life piece of legislation across every all the 50 states uh, that has been passed mm-hmm. up to this point, basically because um, now it's, it's got a, it's got a 
got problems. This bill has, the way it is right now, has got problems because the Supreme Court um, has stated very explicitly that abortion is not like any other medical procedure that exists under the God, under the God's created sun that shines on this earth. It is not. They have made it very clear. So he's either going to have to change the definition of abortion or he's going to have to change the definition of medicine in order for right. this to stick. Uh, that doesn't prevent him, though, from having this pass out of Congress, out onto the floor of the Senate, and eventually coming up for a vote. And, and like I said, this is going to put all the pro-life laws that are exist- in existence in the country right now, it's going to ineffectively nullify them, effectively mm-hmm. nullify them. Because um, right now, the laws single out abortion as, per SOTUS, a different procedure that needs to be regulated separately. As it is, abortion facilities <laughs> aren't very well regulated at all. Right. And this one is going to make sure they never get regulated. And so what states right. have been doing have been saying, okay, you want to say you're doing legitimate surgery in this place. Uh, surgery is a kind word for for what they actually do. But if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to comply with some health and safety regulations. And every mm-hmm. single time, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and every abortion supporter that that can hold a sign goes out and protests. And, you know, Leticia, just these basic um, regulations that um, that Blumenthal is fighting, these regulations are what would have prevented Gosnell. These Absolutely. are just the basic. That's exactly right. And they, you know, they make these distinct categories of, you know, well, that was Gosnell, and, you know, we're not, this is not what we're representing, but it actually is because they're fighting the very things, the very basic standards that, that would have prevented him from doing what he what he did for so many years. Right. I, I mean, I, I don't know why they can pretend. This is what they're doing now. They're pretending Kermit Gosnell doesn't exist. Um, right. <laughs> he's, he's gone now, and what he did, just to forget about what he did, forget about it, and not to... I'm, I'm sorry, he's not the only person that's committing this type of late-term abortion uh, butchery. We have talked right. about Douglas Carson. We have talk, talked about Leroy Carhartt. We have talked about several other names. And they're all doing the same thing that Kermit Gosnell has done. And the only thing is that Kermit Gosnell is the first person to have been sent to prison right. because of that. And it wasn't for, it wasn't for all these late-term abortions. Necessarily, I mean, he had to. Uh, women had to die um, mm. in order for this to be uh, really, I think, really a, something that they could prosecute. Um, so, right. so this law, this bill, is going to be one that makes it easy. I mean, we—it's like we're going backwards in time. Uh, it's going to make it easier for Kermit Gosnell's Douglas Carson. Mm-hmm and Leroy Carhartt to to do what they do and escape prosecution. Right. Um, it's S sixteen ninety six if um our listeners want to follow up on that. S sixteen ninety six. 
and right now it is in committee, and hopefully, hopefully, preferably, it will never leave committee. But if it does, keep your eyes peeled for that. And this is the this is the lowdown on this bill. Um, the other the other main thing that happened this week that was really big was um, one great thing was that Texas. Thank God for Texas, and thank God for the the Supreme Court decision upholding Texas's. Uh, I believe was it HP two. I don't forget. I forget the exact number of the bill, but it is their decision to not block the law in mm. Texas, and that is that is actually uh, really good news because I mean t- Texas. What can I say? What can I say? I mean, this this whole thing was a microcosm of how much uh, how much pro-abortion forces were willing to stake out uh, to try to defeat a bill, just on the local level, on the state level, uh, that they knew they couldn't defeat. They put in every effort possible to try to defeat, and they knew they couldn't. I mean, we're going back, back, back in time to Wendy Davis and her little catheter moment. Wendy wears the catheter Davis uh, and her little pink, pink suit and her sneakers. <laughs> Filibustering 11 hours. We've gone over this many times, and this is, this is, this is life or death to them. And so um, I'm really thankful that SCOTUS has upheld the Texas law. And then contrast that with what happened in Albuquerque, which – for us, I'm not entirely shocked that Albuquerque could not pass a what was it a 20 week abortion ban? 20 week ban? Yes, it was 20 weeks. I'm not, yes. I I'm not surprised they couldn't pass it because New Mexico tends to be a very Democrat voting state, and Albuquerque being one of the bigger cities in New Mexico, I'm not that surprised. However, we look at the – we're going to go back to the theme that I talk about a lot, which is how badly do pro-abortion forces want to keep abortion the status quo if it is legal all the way up to birth? How badly do they want it? Planned Parenthood and um, other, other abortion supporters poured in $1 million, $1 million um. in just one city – to mm. keep it, to keep it legal. They poured in so much money. I mean, one freaking million dollars? Yeah. For for a referendum? Wow, they want it back. Right. Anybody want to guess that it's not? Right, uh, just a city, just a city. Anyone want to guess that abortion is not just a social issue? For abortion supporters? Hmm. Oh, no. It's not. So the next person that wants to tell me that abortion is one of those things that we ought to just uh, state our beliefs and leave alone, <coughs> John McCain, uh, <laughs> needs to Seriously? go take a very long walk um, through... I think he needs to take a very long walk through the lobbying arm 
of Planned Parenthood, because obviously he doesn't realize, I'm sorry, I'm not talking about John McCain, obviously this hypothetical person doesn't realize how badly they want to preserve abortion on demand. And it's not just a social issue. And if it's not, a, if it's not just a social issue to them, how can we step back and say that it's just a social issue, period? Right. You can't. And, you know, and um, just, from, yeah, just from the part of defending life there in Albuquerque, I know Bud and Tara Shaver, who were very instrumental um, in actually getting the referendum on the um, ballot um, there in Albuquerque. And there was just a lot of frustration of people that did not even vote. And mm-hmm. when you look at this opportunity um, for us to step up to the plate and to save lives and do more than just lip service but just go and vote, and yet uh, people won't do it. And yet Planned Parenthood, they're, they're, they're uh, you know, spoiling a million dollars to protect abortion. Right. And we won't even get up and vote, <laughs> you know, something that doesn't cost us a thing. Um, it's just really sad. And it shows you the apathy uh, and, and how they're very energetic about abortion. And we have become in a lot of ways very apathetic about abortion. And we are supposedly the ones who um, actually care about human life. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't understand this passivity that we have, that people need to be, right. just, you know, they just want you to shut up and go away and, and not talk about abortion because somehow they've bought the line that it's somehow embarrassing to talk about. It's a campaign killer. It's a campaign killer if you don't talk about it and you don't talk about right. it right. I mean, I, anyway, I don't want to get distracted. Did you have a guest who want, that uh, wanted to come and call on that about that? Um, I wasn't able to get a hold of them, so um, maybe we can we can maybe schedule that um, for an upcoming show to, to discuss um, how this actually. I mean, this whole bill itself could be revolutionary in in many cities across the United States who um, are fighting to get abortion out of their cities. Um, this could be a way to get these referendums on our city ballots. So this could definitely be another strategy. So I'd love to get um, Bud and Tara Shaver on soon. Um, to discuss that and how they went about doing this. Oh yeah, awesome! That would be awesome. I would love to hear um, on the ground what what people were were trying to struggle with in Albuquerque. And I know a good friend of our good friend of ours, Abby Johnson, was there working the phones uh, that weekend. I mean, God bless her. That woman has boots on the ground. She's got the biggest boots I've ever seen, <laughs> and I mean that metaphorically, guys. Um, All right. <laughs> And, you know, mm-hmm. that is a woman who puts her money where, where, and her time where her mouth is. And, mm-hmm. you know, that is something that we should all aspire to do, do our little parts. I mean, she's able to do that. God bless her. Amen. And somebody should, should be able to do that. If it ever comes to where I'm able to do that, I pray to God that God opens that door wide open and says, hey, walk right on through. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and come back on the other side with our guest. He is, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to pick it up right after the other side of the break with the introduction. So, what should I say? Yes, I did not plan this. Silly, silly, silly. All right.
society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out for the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing for over 100 years. And welcome back to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. I am your host, Letitia Wong. Our Pro-Life Fridays phone lines are open. If you'd like to call and ask a question, either of our guests, coming up or of our host the number to call it is 760-542-3907 we would love to take your call and have you join us on the air uh so i said introductions right afterward uh we do we have a great guest today his name is carrie bogue and he is the project it says here on your facebook page that uh it's you're the president and CEO of Project Wildfire, and that's all about exposing Planned Parenthood. And I want to know a little bit more. So welcome to the program, Mr. Bogue. Please tell Thank me you. I hit the right Good button. to be on your program. <laughs> all right. I got worried there for a second. Uh, yeah, here. so welcome to the program. Welcome to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Um, first of all, Please tell us a little bit about your work, uh, Project Wildfire. I know you're on Twitter, and uh, some of the things that you do to oppose abortion. Well, well I'll just talk about Project Wildfire. is is mainly geared for social media and so, and a few other things. But one one of the things we do, of course, is uh, the Tweet Fest, which, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, can be very effective. In fact, that's that's really basically what exposed. Uh, Kermit Gosnell when we had the um, Who is Kermit Gosnell Tweet Fest and the next day is when the media was embarrassed into covering the trial. It had already been going on for two weeks and so uh, oftentimes to get national attention to pro-life issues we have a, a Tweet Fest and that we, we post probably two a month and uh, although it's getting tougher and tougher to trend with really crucial topics like 
Kim Kardashian and, and Beyonce and whatever. Uh, unfortunately, that seems mm. to be what America likes to trend and talk about. But that's one of the things that we do. And, and uh, as far as me personally, I do other things. I obviously spend time in front of clinics. I pray. I, I have, and we're, we're doing something similar to what uh, they do in Albuquerque, which is Project 52, and we call it Project 52 Milwaukee, which is an attempt uh, by and Tara Schaefer, our friends of mine, and they, um, they're getting, their initiative is to get 52 churches to cover a clinic, uh, each church cover a clinic for one week of the year, so hence called Project 52, and uh, we're starting that through um, uh, a Christian ministry that I work for called Basics, and we're going to be starting Project 52 up here in Milwaukee and, and try to make, make sure that the clinic is covered, um, mm-hmm. with Christian people 52 weeks out of the year. Wow, uh, wonderful. Um, yeah. Well, one other thing I was going to say is one of the, things, the other pages I have, that's what we had originally talked about, was called Abolishing All Abortion Incrementally. And and we talked a little bit about Texas and, and Albuquerque. Um, first of all, I think Texas is a tremendous, tremendous success and and the fact that uh, the United States Supreme Court did uphold the ban that was uh, in Texas is is huge because that is one of the the points that the abortion lobbyists and of course that being Obama and, and Planned Parenthood primarily um, are, are trying to tell people oh you're going to lose this in in litigation and et cetera et cetera et cetera and, and clearly now the litigation is is going to be uh, money's going to be spent by them because um, been upheld. They refused to even hear the case regarding uh, the Texas. And, and what happened there, which is kind of germane to probably what we're going to talk about today, is that when abortion clinics closed, and that's estimated mm-hmm. that 50 babies a week are not being aborted because of that. And so when you talk about an incremental approach to um, abolishing all abortion, that's it's, it's really the only only way to do it is realistically is to do that. And, and um Mm-hmm. be able to say, hey, 50 babies a day are alive because of that. And assuming even that um, some of those go to another state, even if it's just half of that, even just 25 pe- babies per week survive because of the closing of those clinics, um, that's a tremendous accomplishment. And, and, of course, one of the things that's often said by another organization is that pro-life people are okay with just slowing abortion down. That's not true, but realistically, um, you know, it, it, it steps. It's incrementalism, uh, as, right. as uh, well, sometimes it's referred to. Well, let me let me ask you this: what what caught my eye about your Facebook group, uh, that one in particular, was the name, and which is why I come came on to. Uh, wanted you to come on the show and kind of explain a little bit about that. Now, even if I didn't know anything about or anything you or anyone else has said or did, um, I would have found the title a little odd, like incrementally. Um, Mm -hmm. In the About section, it reads, We are pro-life Christians working and praying to realistically save babies. We support all anti-abortion legislation pushing to finally end Roe versus Wade. And again, even if I didn't know anything about you, um, it it just sounds an awful lot like you are reacting to something. Um, I mean, what is all this 
mean incrementally, realistically, in all anti-abortion legislation? Can you explain why you named the page specifically with the word incrementally in it? Well, yeah, I can. Um, there's uh, another organization, um, Abolish Human Abortion, AHA, as they're known, and okay. they're in uh, the uh, anti- and, and the anti-abortion um, arena, along with pro-life people, and they've they've come out very strongly against pro-life people and also attacks on other um, theologies, Catholics to be one, and. You know a lot, a lot of that, and so I guess I just kind of reached a point where I'd heard enough of the rhetoric about how they were going to abolish all human abortion instantly, and it's just, it just isn't going to happen. It's not realistic, and so it was somewhat in reaction to that, and and that's that's correct. And 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 if you want to call it incremental, I'm I'm proud to be called incremental because the reality is that's just the way it works. Paul didn't in the Bible didn't stand up on a mountaintop and say, everyone love the Lord or you're all going to hell, and then people just changed their hearts. He did it one person at a time, became all things to all people, worked hard, and that's just the way God works through relationships. It isn't done through demands and, and um, declarations. It just doesn't work that way, and it's not realistic. And and this organization, without referring to it again by name, um, opposes all anti-abortion legislation, just like the pro-choice crowd does, and um, that's stunning to me. And no one has yet been able to satisfactorily answer uh, to me how you can justify that stance when take a look at at, uh, Texas and the fact that Mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood is being required, like you mentioned earlier to your other guests, required to have doctors that have admitting rights. It's just a, ma- a safety, clear safety matter. Planned Parenthood claims that they're all about safe abortion. The, real, the, the, tr- the truth is this. No one can name one, not one safety regulation regarding abortion that Planned Parenthood has ever supported. They've never supported any regulation of abortion. They want unlimited abortion on demand. And when you talk about Albuquerque for Life and what happened in Albuquerque, uh, I, I love Bud and Tara Schaefer. In fact, they were kind enough to offer to fly me there uh, a couple of days before that happened because I'm involved in, in that tweet fest and things and the Project 52 in Milwaukee, and I just wasn't able to go. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, yeah, it's, it's a powerful initiative they have there. And, um, you know, and it's probably you noticed, I think you did notice, there was some, some gloating by another, you know, another organization about the fact that it failed, and they were glad that it failed. And, and I just right. don't, I don't get that. And... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did want to ask you something related to that question and, and about Texas and Albuquerque. And, yes, you did hear me talk about it earlier. And it was something that, yeah, you, you was expressed that you copied and paid, pasted to your page. And it got me thinking about how different people look at the laws. That and one, that one in particular, the view that if you support pro-life laws as they exist today, which means having uh, exceptions for having rape clauses, having exceptions, it means you're part of the problem. And not only are you part of the problem, you are the problem as much as any pro-abortion supporter out there. And now you didn't actually respond, you know, in in uh, in a big way to the 
the, the post that you copied and pasted, and you didn't say much in the way of response, but I'm here thinking about it, and, you know, those sound a little bit like fighting words. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. how, do you, how would you respond to being told that you're as much a part of the problem as any poor abortion supporter out there? Well, and my my response, and those were meant to be fighting words, and that's that's I've, as I'm sure you saw, the reaction response to that post was <laughs> became quite a war, and uh, and then I finally had to walk away from it. And after some prayer, I thought about it and spoke with some of the people in, in pro life that are, I'm sure you've heard of it. I won't mention them by name, but they're big time Abby Johnson type people, and um, they messaged me privately and said, let's just not get into this debate and I don't want and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something now but I'm not after this I'm really not going to so this will probably be the only time that I actually address this but um, yeah they, they've kind of taken the slogan from the Tea Party which is moderate Republicans really just uh, Republicans in name only and and that's their idea is that, that pro-life is the new pro-choice which is fighting wars and it's ridiculous and the straw man argument that they put forth is that we're really okay with just restricting abortion, that we're kind of like willing to go along with the status quo, and nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. And as you said, right on the page, uh, on my page, which says abolishing all abortion incrementally, we say that our, our goal is to overturn Roe v. Wade. So um, that straw man argument, that uh, that that attitude they attribute to the pro-life movement, that we're willing to accept it as, as the status quo is not accurate. And, um, and yeah, it, it's annoying, and, it, and uh, you know, you, you respond with, um, and I, I did respond with anger. It's kind of like, uh, as I said something today to some people, um, you know, I was, I was very invested emotionally, and in, in my life is invested, of course, in, in pro-life work, but I was invested in mostly what happened in Albuquerque for life, and and um, at that moment when um, the vote didn't pass, it was you know I think there we we do have five stages of grief that we go through, and, and it was such a big deal for me that I actually went through them. Uh, when the vote started to come in, uh, some uh, someone that was pro-abortion came on the our event page and started arguing, and uh, and I argued back saying the votes weren't in, and knowing that in my back of my mind that they were, and then. So that was the um, denial, and then and it went through the entire process, uh, then mm-hmm. the anger and, and all that. And I, I feel like kind of, maybe this is simplistic, but I think this is the way it works. I think that it's, it appears that that particular organization is kind of stuck in in the second stage of denial, which is anger. And um, uh, and, okay. and they're, they're attacking other warriors, and instead of just moving on, and, and I, like I moved on and eventually accepted the reality that the ban didn't pass, and my job now is to, to encourage people and thank people that did help and continue on in the war instead of, you know, uh, being angry about abortion and, and just stopping your feet. It's kind of like, um, you know, a kid throwing a temper tantrum in the old saying, I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. You know, it's just not going to happen that way. If it did, right. we all uh-huh. be for it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and personally, I can only I can speak for myself personally. If we could abolish it tomorrow or even today, by the end of the day, that would be that would be fantastic. I would be all for it. I, there would be no reservations on my part. Um, Thomas, you had a question, and uh, yeah, you go ahead. Do I need to push the button for you? 
Hello. Be okay. All right, you're on. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now, I can hear sir. You, sure. Oh, yeah, you have me muted. I'm talking away. You guys have me muted. See how you want to be. You want to go outside? You want to go outside? Ask yeah, questions. well, we can do this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, on the serious tip, hey, Carrie, um, this this whole, you know, the AHA um, incrementalism thing, this actually affects me at a, a more personal level, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I'm actually that, I was that baby that the site is about, the exceptions. I was, um, in fact, I was the rare of the rare. I'm an ectopic pregnancy survivor. And my mom was one of two people, two women who ever give birth naturally to an ectopic pregnancy because they refused the, um, they refused the C-section when she said no to the abortion. And I'll just leave it at that. So I, I'll tell you, I don't agree with incrementalism, not not because not because of you know, I think oh you're not pro life or this this and this. I'm looking at it from the point of okay, my life is expendable and that sort of thing. But now here's where I put my the butt in there. Me and Leticia, we had a discussion, and I told her from the get-go. Many I times. Huh? Oh, yeah. We I had said many discussions times. about this many times. Disagreement. But she was able to explain to me her viewpoint about it. I still disagree with it. So my question is this. Why can't, okay, you want to work towards incremental Bills, but at the same time, could it be possible to work towards work towards also simultaneously having legislation that that protects the exceptions as well? Because truthfully, if you look at what the Word of God actually says in the parable of the ninety-nine, Jesus was talking about the one hundred sheep that went astray, and he said, you leave the other in the group because they're safe, and you go after that one. So at some point, we have to figure out how do we work together to save all. Because the truth of the matter is this, once the legislation is passed, that has the exceptions in it, I know this for a fact because I've studied it, no one ever goes back to go back after the those of us who were born under the exceptions clause. How do we work together? Because quite frankly, I'm telling you, I hate the division. It breaks my heart. We are on the same team. The devil's sitting there laughing at us. How do we work together? That's my question. And that's a great question, and, and let me give you a little history of my relationship with AHA, which is that I have tried to work with them and and um, without using a bunch of names, but I can say there are people that are big and pro-life. Um, 
I did a big, probably the biggest tweet fest I ever had, and, and included a lot of pro-life groups, and uh, it was about the abortion mandate. This is back in July, and I wanted uh, AHA to get involved, and so I was literally up all night back and forth with this person uh, trying to convince them that we were on the same page, we're on the same team, and, and at the end he wrote, speak well, I'm going to go ahead, and we've never done this, but I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, be a part of it. So I went ahead and announced, okay, great, uh, AHA is now part of this tweet fest, and we're going to tell the world about the fact that there is a um, secrecy clause in Obamacare, which of course now is well known, and um, abortion is part of the deal. And um, the reaction from the pro-life people privately was shocking. We're going to withdraw, blah, blah, blah. And I was just stunned. I said, wow, you guys are... And they just went on. He's never going to follow through. This is never going to happen. And and I had a lot of people pulling out because of the fact that a lot of people tried to work with them in the past and tried to just seal up this division. And, and it's sort of like, to me, the Republican Party. You don't want to fight. You want to all be one, and you don't want the libertarians fighting with the the Republicans, and that's not what we want. So what happened is uh, I was just in fight. I can't tell you how hard it was for me just emotionally to, to make a promise to someone and then just figure out what am I going to do, how am I going to respond to this. I don't want to destroy the, the whole thing by doing this. But I didn't have to because by the end of the day, I made the announcement at 7 in the morning, by, by 6 o'clock that night, this person had not done what he said he did. This person had not not announced that they were going to be part of it, and that was the agreement. And so um, I said, you know what, at this point, um, I'm, you've broken our agreement, and I'm going to withdraw my offer to you. Uh, I didn't think I really needed to. And so they were unwilling to even even just agree that the abortion mandate should be exposed that it was in Obamacare, which I think now everyone knows. Um, and, right. and we tried, and, and I worked very hard with them. The other side of this is, too, I don't want to abolish abortion incrementally. That is not what I would like. My, I would prefer um, I prefer to never work and drive a Mercedes. I prefer to be able to love the Lord and, and live in a mansion uh, and, and not sacrifice. But that's not the way life is. And I'm still waiting for, for them to put forth uh, a plan because the plan doesn't work. I, I, had, a, I had someone come on today to argue with me from, from AHA, and they said, Okay. Um, well, I, I actually have to interrupt you at this point uh, because um, I promised to our co-host and I promised to myself and to our audience that this is not going to this conversation is not going to be about AHA, <laughs> and uh, we can refer to the attitudes and the uh, the belief systems they that AHA happens to hold to, which is you know probably more than them alone. Uh, but we weren't going to make this about them. Uh, this interview is about you and your work in the uh, fight to end abortion, and I need to kind of keep it there um, just for the sake of the integrity of our show. Uh, so I'm sorry uh, to have to interrupt you there, but I would like to ask you a different question, and then we'll take a caller. Um, when, do you think, okay. when do you think abortion will be abolished here in the U.S.? Everybody has their own method. But nobody has a time frame. I believe, like a lot of people do, that this is the uh, that our that the student of America's generation is the uh, a generation that will abolish abortion. 
and abortion will end in, in I hope, my lifetime. So that's the best I can say. It's, but it's kind of like saying the people that predict the end of the world. You know, as Christ said, sure. Um, sure. you know, not not even I know the answer to that, and that's um, that's not the <laughs> word. Well, it was almost a trick question. It was that I wanted to hook it to another question, but it would have taken us farther along than um, necessary to answer something like that. Because, you know, in a, in a way, if we take the long road and say we want to wait until we have legislation that completely eliminates abortion without exceptions and uh, just 100% in one fell swoop, how long do you think we'd have to wait for that? versus how long do you think we would have to wait if we uh, cut that tree down one swing at a time? So that was well, kind of the context that's a, of that that's a, Yeah, that's a great question, and, and I think the answer to that is that you don't sit back and say, oh, the world's going to be so stunned and so shocked and eventually be so upset about abortion if we don't pass any laws that it will um, it will just you know naturally happen, and I don't agree. I think that... Uh, you just got to keep swinging away. You got to keep taking taking punches where you can, and and do whatever you can, and fighting and fighting and fighting. And I think, um, you know, if a if a ban is passed in one location, that's a small victory, but it's just a battle in the war. And then you move on, and you win as many battles as you can, and then you go back to where that old battle was, which is kind of what we were talking about earlier, where it was just where it was just banned, uh, and then try to get more restrictive. And by the way, Albuquerque. There was no exceptions, period. No abortions after 20 weeks, period. So there was no exceptions or not. That would have been, that would have been a, a, a yes or no. After 20 weeks, you can't get a, um, an abortion in, in Albuquerque if that law, if that ban had passed. That's right. And so I, I think we should, I think Albuquerque should either try again or maybe, you know, Lord willing, the entire state of New Mexico. We can only pray for that. Now, did we have a caller on the line? Uh, Thomas? No, that's that's um, Miss Elaine Riddick. No. Okay, we don't have a caller on the line. All right. Well, um, you yep. know, I don't want to keep you. I I want to appreciate everything that you have said. Thank you for coming on the program, uh, Carrie. Uh, please be a friend of the show. Uh, be be here uh, if we ever need you to come back and give us another interview and talk about. Um, things that are going on on your end of the, on the fight to end abortion, we would love to have you back. Absolutely. Two quick things that I could say at the end. One is that uh, we're getting sure. ready to have our own website, uh, Project Wildfire, but if you wanted to look us up on Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com slash wildfire exposed PP, and then you just, and it's very simple for Project 52 Milwaukee. Just go on your Facebook page and then type in Project 52 Milwaukee. And uh, we'd love you to check us out and get involved and help us any way you can. And I'm always happy to come on, and I'm uh, grateful you invited me. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you for uh, giving us Thank your time you. as well. All right. Okay. Yep, thanks. Have a great time. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Thomas. Bye-bye. Well, I I think that uh, he he makes good points. I really do. I you mm-hmm. know. The the issue about exceptions in legislation is always going to be a sticking point. I don't believe anybody wants those to be there. Right. I, on either side. I, on either side. On either side. If, I mean, if you ask a liberal pro-abortion Democrat, 
if he would like to have a, a, a pro-life bill to, to consider at all, he would probably, he may, and she, would probably say, no, I wish this bill didn't exist. Uh, but right. since it does, we're going to stick in exceptions because we're still going to want our way in some way, shape, or form. Um, but if they had their and way, it would be Albuquerque. Leticia, if I will, if I will, sure. I, I, want, I, want, I want to say something so, so everybody can understand. See, this is how we are supposed to be able to do, do things. And, and my explanation to Terry, I told him I did not agree with the the incrementalism. But mm-hmm. what what if you guys saw that did not happen is that I did not yell trust us all that stuff because of it. And this is this is my whole point, and this is the point of Pro Life Fridays Radio. We. We all disagree. We we have had disagreements, sometimes to the point of yelling. But at the end of the day, it is our duty and our responsibility to work together to find the final solution to end abortion. And if we keep tearing each other down, we are ineffective because folks, they have tens of billions of dollars on their side that they have access to. And I'm talking mm-hmm. about the pro-aborts, the baby killers. And as long as we are eating each other from the inside out, we make their job easier. So that's the whole I point. That. As you can grow as you can tell, some some actually thought that we were going to be one sided. Most of most of you all did not know that I was born under the exceptions clause. So therefore I would be an idiot if I was for incrementalism. So come on. All right. We have to talk. I could go on my soapbox, but I love you. Yeah, guys. I know, but with oh. that for break <laughs> <laughs> we'll <laughs>
Fridays Radio. I am your host, Letitia Wong, on the air with Melissa Palou and Thomas Smith. Uh, we have had just the most awesome, awesome interviews uh, so far. Um, and I wanted to tell you, though, that as, as much as we interview others, we also have great stories that um, we would love to share with our audiences. And um, just talking about what's happening to uh, how we got here from way back there. And Mm-hmm. Both Thomas and myself and Melissa have done extensive teaching. Um, I shouldn't say extensive. I think collectively extensive teaching <laughs> on mm-hmm. about our stories and our journey from I just to put it in a nutshell from from there to here uh, in the grace of God in the pro life uh, movement. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that uh, we have gone through a lot, you know, the three of us together, and uh, if you, this is an advertisement, by the way, for all of us, if you want to hear our stories, if you'd like to hear us um, in your group, please contact uh, Pro-Life Fridays Radio, Um, we're going to have um, just the ability to share, and and Thomas probably has the most dramatic story of all, and look, look for it, if you haven't seen his, his segment in the documentary, that we talked about last week. And Thomas, can you tell our audience the name of that documentary? I know, I put you on the spot because I want to hear from you. That's right. Um, where just a voice after voice after voice of those that have been just marginalized in our society are able to say in this documentary kind of what's on their heart, how their lives were saved, how they saved other people's lives and how they were children through rape, adoption through rape, and uh, being born through, even though, you know, government or doctors or any kind of outside pressure was there for their mothers to abort. It's fantastic to listen to all these stories. We had it playing last uh, week. I think we're going to play other clips for it for you all in the future, but one of those um, stories kind of hits really close to the heart. Um, I want to welcome on our next guest. Guest was featured in the documentary MAFA 21, and her story is, is really powerful because it talks about not only are we talking about doctors putting pressure on certain women to abort their children, uh, we're talking about the era of eugenics, the last uh, visible era of eugenics, which is making a comeback. But last time it was, I guess, out in the open. And that's when, uh, that's where Elaine Riddick, um, that's where Elaine Riddick's story really comes from and the powerful, uh, just the powerful message that she has for women today. So I'd like to welcome her on to the program Ms. Riddick, are you there? Is she here? Yes, I am. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Welcome to the program. <laughs> thank you I for so having me. I am well, so glad you. that you have hung 
that you've hung in here all this time and listened to the program from your from your phone. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. And I know, Melissa, do you have uh, the interview for her? Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, thank okay. you. Take it away, Ms. sister. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Rick, thanks so much for being here. I know that um, you you are working on a, a lot of uh, great um, products right now. Um, but tell us about a, a little bit about your story and your background, and um, I'm interested uh, in how you got connected with Me Alpha 21. Okay. <laughs> well, I know it's, a, it's um, an in-depth story, but you know, <laughs> I yeah, think it's an amazing I'm story. Try to, you know. Well, first of all, um, I was from a very I am from a, I was from a very impoverished uh, area, a mm-hmm. very rural area in North Carolina, and you know uh, I was back in the time. Please don't laugh. I was back in the time when they were still using outdoor toilets. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's how rural and how old it is. Okay, so uh, anyway, um, I came up very poor. Um, uh-huh. I was a victim of rape. Um, and uh, from that rape, I got pregnant. From the pre- I had carried my son nine months. Now and how old, uh, how old when I went when into the happened? hospital, excuse me. I was asking, how old were you when this happened? Oh, I was thirteen when I was raped. Mhm. And I had my son when I was fourteen. Hmm. Okay, and when I was in the hospital, uh, before I went to the hospital to have my son, I didn't know that the social worker had um, approached my grandmother and asked my grandmother to sign a petition to have my womanhood taken away from me, my womanhood meaning having me sterilized. Mm. And by my grandmother not being, by my grandmother being illiterate and not understanding what she was asking of her, uh, but before she asked her to do that, before my grandmother did it, the social worker threatened my grandmother and told my grandmother that if she didn't have me sterilized, that she was going to stop her welfare uh, food supplements. So my grandmother, by her having a house full of kids, she had to do this, even though she didn't understand what was asked of her. So my grandmother signed the paper, and um, not knowing, uh between the time I was like 14 after I had my son and they had sterilized me, I had been, uh, I kept getting sick, hemorrhaging, passing out and all of that. I didn't mm-hmm. find out that I had been sterilized until a year a year after I had been married. <clears throat> At this time, my husband and I decided that we wanted to start a family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the doctor and the doctor told me that I had been butchered. I got involved with the ACLU and they went forward with it and sued the state of North Carolina for a million dollars. While we was at trial, um, when we went to trial, I'm trying to make it short. When we went to trial, uh, there was no people of my peers there, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, everybody's entitled to be tried by their peers. Mm-hmm. But and when I was when I went to court, I was, shouldn't have been on trial. I felt like I was on trial, like I did something right. wrong. So anyway, what happened was that this group of people, all white women in their 50s or whatever, 60s, whatever, of course, Mm -hmm. they decided along with the courts 
So, okay, that was the end of that, saying that they didn't find that the state of North Carolina had violated my civil my civil rights or mm-hmm. my human rights. Okay, uh-huh. so that was the end of that. So uh, <clears throat> my husband and I, of course, we ended up divorcing each other. I moved to Georgia, where I'm living now, and uh, since I've been in Georgia, uh, we have um, the Winston-Salem Journal and um, Representative Larry Wumble had gotten in touch with me, so they brought it out again. So we went to court again, and we kept going to court. We went through three governors. The first governor apologized, Governor Mike Easley. Uh, The Uh second governor, Governor Perdue, she um, was only there for a year, and she promised that the victims were going to be compensated for what the state of North Carolina had forced upon them. Okay, so she ended up leaving. Uh, she ended up leaving the office a year after she had been uh, put in there. So here comes this new governor, Governor McCurry, promised that, hey, if you uh, elect me, then you know I'll make sure that you know the victims are compensated. And of course, as of I believe uh, July of this year, uh, they had finally uh, put in the budget for the for the uh, sterilization victims to receive. Wow. Uh, it was a, they put ten million dollars in the budget. We don't know how many people are gonna are gonna receive uh, portions of this ten million dollars. So wow. uh, that's what I've been doing, other than you know talking to people about what happened to me and not being afraid because I found that in order to let people know what's going on in the world, we have to talk about it. Sometimes the things that we talk about are so horrific and damaging and painful. Right. I didn't grow. I was not, I didn't really start healing until I started talking about it. And I realized that, you know, even though it's an ugly thing that happened, you know, and I blame myself, you know, that it happened for all those years. And mm. I, once I came to realization that, I did I I wasn't to blame then I started healing once I was able to accept that you know then I could talk about it so I've been going around and I've been talking about the eugenics mm-hmm. planned parenthood and all of these people since I don't know how long right yeah people need to hear your message and I'm very grateful that you are you know telling your story as painful as it is um we are of the mindset that eugenics is a thing of the past and that it no longer happens. But, again, here in, in – I'm, I'm in North Carolina, so here in my own state where you were victimized, um, you know, many people who were considered, you know, um, unfit, feeble-minded, undesirable, um, uh, they were – had their, their reproductive what, – what we would really consider reproductive freedom – Taken away from right. them, and that were they were forced sterilized, and this is this is what that is eugenics. That is what that is plain and simple. And um, you know, it's in in our our so called modern civilization, we're still seeing these same barbaric practices come up over and over. And I'm very happy that you all are being compensated, although no amount of money I know can restore that which um, you know which God uh, granted you. Um, you know, in, in terms of your fertility. So but well, I'm, I'm very... Me, 
Okay. Go ahead. Well, Go ahead, with Elaine. me, you know, they, you know, it, 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 with me, I can't see how they can label. You know, there is labeling. You know, I think that was um, another painful thing to me because I don't see how people can label a child that is hungry mm-hmm. or that's cold, you know, right. or that's in a bad place. I don't see how these people are just being bullied. I don't see how these people could label a child who's only, let me see, as a matter of fact, when they said that they tested me, they didn't even test me for the sterilization procedure. What they tested me for was for orphanage uh, placement. And because I had gotten a bad report because I was being bullied, you know, and um, I was, you know, people were jumping on me and I was fighting. I had to, you know, defend myself the best way I knew how. My problem wasn't being feeble-minded, as they had wrote in their statement. They did not write a comprehensive uh, diagnosis um, for this procedure to happen to me. Again, it was for orphanage placement. Um, They said that I was feeble-minded, that I would not be able to take care of myself or at least alone a child. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> it, wow. it came down to a point like where it sounded like I should have been institutionalized. Right. You yeah, know, it's, I it's, mean, really, I mean, I, can't, I mean, let's tell the truth. So we have to be yeah. very careful when people mm-hmm. say things and say this about when some groups that wants to commit harm to another group say this about a child. There's a lot of child children out there that has been institutionalized for the wrong reason or have been hurt for the wrong reason, you know, and, um, you know, so that was not me because, and uh, you know, like when I I got my, um, I got a college degree, of course, and when I went to college, when I left school, when I was raped, I was what? I was in the eighth grade, you know, and, and, and what happened was because I wanted, you know, all my life I wanted to be smart. I used to look at other girls, you know, because they was well-kept, and I was, like, unkept, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and I was having environmental problems, which caused me from, you know, really learning, being hungry in school and all of that, you know. Uh, but I still got my college from leaving the eighth grade. I never even uh-huh. went back into high school, but yet and still I acquired a college degree. Uh, and yeah. the reason yeah. – go ahead yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Elaine. <laughs> you know, and, and, and because, you know, it was, you know, after I found out what the state of North Carolina had did to me, I promised myself, I promised myself, and I prayed to God every night, just let me get my college degree so I can go out there and I can fight for myself and I can challenge these people, and that's what I did. Wow. Yeah, you were so feeble-minded. <laughs> that you could get a college degree, but they didn't think that you were able to um, parent a child or raise a child or take care of yourself. You know, it just shows when we have these arbitrary um, factors and and criteria for what we consider to be acceptable or who we consider to be, um, you know, worthy of life or, you know, we always, it it always comes down to some arbitrary human um, limited perspective. And, you know, regardless of, of, of if you had gotten a degree or whatever, you were still a human, you're still a human being, and no one has those rights to determine 
um, who is worthy enough to reproduce or who should live or, you know, if their offspring should, should be um, coming to the world and these sort of things. But, um, again, it's just, it, it's just it's devastating to me to hear your story and to know that this really happens um, yep. and uh, that it's a reality for, for many people um, in, this, in this country and around the world. And um, God bless you, Elaine. And you know, let's talk about what what you're doing um, now with um, with the Rebecca Project. I'm interested um, in terms of uh, the work currently uh, exposing the Depo-Provera contraceptive shot. And wow. um, I'm a instrumental in this petition, and I want to hear about um, what you what what has been discovered about that drug, and what you guys oh. are doing to try to eliminate it. Wow. First of all, I have I was made first of all, I was made the national spokesperson by the Rebecca Project for the anti to lead the anti depro um I'm gonna say March, uh people to freedom or whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh since starting that, you know, just within a week or about going on two weeks I think, or maybe a week and a half, I'm not for sure, we have we need a thousand signatures so today, I believe we only need 78 more signatures. Okay, wow. and since yeah, and since that petition has been out, women have been flooring out of everywhere with all kinds of every kind of problem. We have a, a depot. We have a depot group. Is say no to depot group, and mm. and there we have 200. And since that petition, we have gained 200 and. Um, Fifteen members, wow. and within like no more than two weeks, that's what we have, and it seems like we're, you know, growing more and more every day. And the women coming into this group, the things that they tell me, I don't believe it. But let me first tell you how I got involved, also uh, through the Rebecca Project, and my first person mm-hmm. that I spoke to, I learned, I, I met this girl. She had two daughters. Her name is Carol Strong. She don't mind me calling her, um, calling her name. She had two daughters, and it was had several poisoning. And what happened was they was institutionalized, you know, um, like when they were 16, 17 years old. And uh-huh. while they were institutionalized, <laughs> serious story, the people that ran the institution had started injecting the two girls that with the Depo-Provera. Now, knowing, meaning that anybody know that these people are already having immense bone problems. And if you inject them with some, something else that causes bone mineral density, you know, their bones are going to become very fragile. One of the daughters ended up having no bones at all. Oh, my goodness. So this is what really got me on to really put my heart in the march against Depo-Provera. Hmm. You know, a lot of women in my group, they have um, cancer. One, one young lady, uh, this is very sad for me, she came in and she was telling me that, you know, she was uh, started taking a Depo shot, and uh, she ended up um, developing kidney problems, um, hmm. high blood, hypertension. She has um, something wrong with her, with her spine, uh, she has had, this little this girl is thirty years old mm. and had three heart attacks by the time she was thirty years old. Wow! You know, so this is why 
this is so important to me. Uh, then some people come in there with cancer, and what you know, it's one thing if you tell somebody about the drug, and 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 then you let me make my choice or my decision on whether I want the drug. Right. The drug has been labeled black box warning that is lethal. Right. You know, but yet and still. Planned Parenthood keeps pushing this drug on these minority women, these poor women. Mm-hmm. And because of these poor women, they're making them think. I mean, when I say pushing it on them, it's like telling them you don't have an option, just like me. Mm-hmm. You don't have an option. So what I right. tell them now in our group is that we have each other, we share stories and we learn from everybody else's story, mm-hmm. you know, and I tell them they do have an option that mm-hmm. they can't just push something on you without telling you about the side effects. All right. See, and this is what's happening with these women out here, that they're right. forcing something on them without telling them the side effects. If they did right. tell them they would tell them that you might get a, a, a headache or a little dizziness or, you know, something like that. They don't tell them that it's going to make you gain up to 70 or over 70 pounds. They don't tell them that it's going to make you probably increase your chances to breast cancer and to cervical cancer. It doesn't tell young girls under the age of 19 that you might develop breast cancer in both breasts. You know, and it don't tell them not to breastfeed their children when they get off of the Depo-Provera. It doesn't right. tell them to wait at least a year or two years before becoming pregnant. And this is yeah. a serious thing here. If it causes all these problems in a woman's body, you know, I mean, uh, excessive bleeding and all of this stuff, bone density, if it, you know, if it causes bone density, that means that the stuff is getting in your bone so and getting in your right. blood. So you're going to go out there painful, and we don't understand why we're having so many children that's being born with birth defects. Right. And, you know, Elaine, so, it's, it's, it's like you were saying, you know, the, the whole pro-choice, Planned Parenthood, that whole movement is telling us that they were they're empowering women, they're for women. But yet by not educating women, you are not empowering them in any way. You are just leading them blindly into destruction, into harm. And that is not um productive. That is not benefiting them benefiting them in any way. It's benefiting your pocketbook maybe. <laughs> But it's not helping them. It's not educating them. It's not giving them the 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 information to do research on their own. You're just telling them, take this, do this. We're going to give you this. This is easy. Don't worry about you know the side effects. Um, that's not um, that's not helping them at all. That's not encouraging them to be, them to be think free thinkers and to be critical thinkers about their health and their well being and their futures. Well, this is part of why we have this group here. Because we do allow them to think and to make their own. We are teaching them how to make their own choices. Mm-hmm. And we are giving them a voice. And they have, by the grace of God, 
you know, uh, stop taking the Depo-Provera. Even I have one lady, you know, there's a black box warning on that, telling you that it's lethal, and it do tell you side effects, but the doctors mm-hmm. are not telling the women about the the, the uh, side effects of the drugs, the most lethal right. drug, contraceptive on the market, and you mean to tell me that you're not going to tell me. So what happened here is we still have a lot of women that are poor women that, you know, really don't understand. We are taught to trust our doctors, and we are taught to say, well, we are taught that our doctors are not going to cause us harm. You know, so I'm so glad that I am able and that God gave me the heart (laughs) to Mm -hmm. uh, go out and say, hey, let's talk about this. One lady, okay, here's something. One, you know, on the black box warning, it tells you not to take this drug no more than two years. Mm. Anything hey, else that increases? I have some good news. When I, yeah, this is Letitia. I have some good news about uh, the petition. And if anybody is looking for it, it is on change.org. And I just checked the page. You only now need 78 more petitioners. Ooh. That's it. <laughs> All right. So I know I know PLFR audience. I know that there are 78 of you out there at least. Jump on. It's called Members of Congress Depot Provera and Federal Funding for World's Most Dangerous Contraception. Find it on change.org and push it all the way to the thousand that's needed. I know you can do it. Yeah. And, and if and another thing is that we have women out here because they didn't have nobody to talk to, you know, and they're, all, all these women are sitting there grieving in their own hearts and suffering, you know, because they had no one to stand up for them or to talk with them or to tell them, hey, wait a minute now, you should not be ha- you, you know, some, uh, anyway, get back to this first and it's going to lead into this. I have one lady today that got in touch with me. And um, even though the black box warning says you should not use this drug no more than two years, you know, and then after two years it really increases your risk to all of these other things, even liver cancer, okay? This lady told me her doctor's been giving it to her for 14 years. I told her, don't go back to that doctor. Find another doctor and go to. And when you go to the doctor, and I tell all my girl, all my members this, don't go back to the same doctor that gave you the drug. Find another doctor to go to. When you go to them, tell them that you were on Depo-Provera. Tell them what this drug has done. If it caused you a second bleeding, one lady said, hey, I, the same lady, by the way, I'm sorry. I haven't had a period since I've been on Depo-Provera um, in my 30s. You know, I've been on it for 14 years, and I haven't had a period since I had got the first shot. I hear a lot of this in the group. What do you do? Didn't you know something was wrong? So she's mm. going into early menopause, okay? Wow. That's another side effect. Right. Mm. Yeah, something that they don't tell us that they don't they don't tell us because um, they don't think that evidently that we can make our own decisions um, regarding legitimate health health risks that are um, that we're safe for taking this you know this drug. 
Well, you know, not cutting you off, but what we have here is we have a group of people that is only concerned about the dollar. You know, and then some of these doctors, you know, they get paid to promote this and to force this on women, you know. I mean, and it's so sad, and it's even sadder when women don't know how 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 it's affecting their children that they breastfeed and even if you don't breastfeed the child and you get pregnant while you're on the depot or you get pregnant shortly after using a depot that is going to cause your child to have birth defects mm. these are things that we need to be teaching our young women and our women especially the poor women or the women that's not, you know, we need to get out here and we need to educate each other and, you know, we need to just stand up. Right. You know, we need to stand up and fight this because this is really harmful and not only that, it's a genocide. It is. It is. It absolutely is. Wasn't it the statistic that 87% of women who are, Receiving depot are are African Americans. They are black. Eighty seven percent. And two percent white. Eighty seven percent is 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 uh it's a drug. We're going back to the eugenics again, by the way. Mm, yes. Eugenics are still here, very strong and very forceful. Absolutely. You know, and this is going back to the agenda. Just a little dramatic about it now. Yeah. Right, right. Well, we'll think yeah. about the statistical impossibility of 87% of any population of of any group in America uh, participating in something completely without uh, some artificial coercion. I don't want to say coercion, but some artificial means of causing 87% to to participate in this. I mean, 80%, I'm, let me make this clear. I'm saying that 87% of women who are receiving Depo Provera are African American. That is That's just right. an, an astronomical proportion. Yeah, but, you know, we're only, you know, uh, Bill Gates and his wife, Melinda, just took 180. See, they don't, use, they don't say shots, really. It's not shots that we're mm. talking about. They took 180 units to Africa where they injected these little children with that depo shot that caused wow. them to have meningitis, become paralyzed, and it's oh so many goodness. other illnesses that, you know, and, and, and even before this, you know, they did, the, they was experimenting on women of color for, uh, around the world, especially in yeah. Africa, with that with that Depo-Provera before it was even approved. They were in the, in the right. South, they were using this. For, you know, and, and I get tired of women being, you know, something that you experiment on. You know, this is not it. This is not right. the way it should be. You know, we need to, you know, we need more support out here, and we need to let women know that there is someone out here, and there are different groups you know, I've gotten involved with three different groups this week, you know, but my my main focus right now, I can't focus on nothing but the Depo Provera right now because we have so many women that has been affected by this lethal contraception. And not only did we, uh, I also uh, got in touch with, uh, you know, talking to an attorney with them and, you know, and seeing what we can do because this is a violation of their human rights, you know. So, 
you know, it's just, whew. you know, it's just the sadness. And then I have a lady in my group that have a daughter that have um, some type of, um, I forgot what she called it. She has two children, and both children have been affected by it. Uh, plenty of women in the group have children that's been affected by Depo-Provera, but then nobody talk about that. You know, right. nobody talk about why this child is behaving this way. You know, if they take the child to the doctor, the doctor would say, well, you know, give them some um, uh, antidepressants or whatever and send them away without getting down to the real problem of what caused this child to be that way. And what they're doing is not treating the problem. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Elaine... I mean, I'm just I'm amazed by you and uh, what you've been through in your life from starting out, um, you know, being the victim of rape at an early age, um, giving birth to your son, um, overcoming the challenges of being forced sterilized um, and being labeled, um, you know, incompetent and um, going on and being successful in life, going to college and now working and advocating for women and educating them and being an advocate for for the those who are overlooked and and who are um considered um the undesirables of our society and you know as a woman I'm very very um very very uh appreciative for what you're doing and for the lives that are going to be saved through through your work and uh, we are so I'm so happy that you came on the air with us to share your story and uh, encourage you to keep sharing it <laughs> and uh, and just grateful for what God's doing through your life. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Yes. Thank you. And uh, we... Back come back again. Yeah, we're going to come back after... Thank you. After, and we, have get that Pera, after we get it um, completely eliminated from, from medicine pra- medical practice here in, in our country, we want to have you come back for a little victory celebration. <laughs> okay, well, that's why I'm going to Congress. Uh, this is my... I've been to Congress in September, and I was invited uh, for the first uh, congressional hearing, and I'm going back again for the second congressional hearing. Wow. Once I get my petition right, all I need is 78 people, so I go there with wow. something in my hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but anyway, <laughs> thank right. you for so, having me. Again, I want to tell everybody to find the petition um, online on, at change.org about Dipper Vivera and sign it. We only need 78 more people, and I, I believe we can do this. I believe we can do this. Absolutely. Um, right now, we have caller Michael on the line. Uh, did you have a question? Hey. Oh, it says you have uh, something oh, you no. wanted to say about taxes. No question. I just wanted to, you know, this is a little beyond the uh, the drug that y'all are speaking about, but to Elaine, kudos for speaking up and speaking out. You know, well, we're young, and it's going to take to, to keep speaking up and speaking out about this. Um, you know, here in Texas, uh, two, two points to make. Here in Texas, first of all, I, I'm very pleased and, and happy to say that 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 our fight against uh, abortion efforts of uh, of of Planned Parenthood and, and the left have have been somewhat uh, stymied. You know, as y'all are probably aware, it made national news over the summer 
uh, Wendy Davis, who's now running on the Democrat side uh, against uh, presumably General Abbott, who will be our, our Republican nominee, filibustered um, a House bill that moved to the Senate uh, in right. you know, yeah, we, national we, news. We're keeping our close eye on Wendy Davis. Well, we and, and, and everybody needs to. Everybody needs to. Texas, if there's any Texans listening, obviously it would be Texans that, that don't agree with her, but they need to let everybody know this lady is a, a, a Nancy Pelosi radical, abortion-on-demand type. Uh, now, of course, uh, the Supreme Court uh, last week upheld our HB2, which, among several things, outlaws abortion at 20 weeks and beyond. Obviously, I'd like myself to see that be earlier. But uh, at 20 weeks so far until it goes back to the uh, appellate court in New Orleans next year, uh, the, the Supreme Court did decide to uphold our law. But now here's what folks really need to be concerned about, and that's, that's New Mexico. New Mexico is an abortion-on-demand state up to, up to just before birth. Albuquerque is the abortion capital of the world. They just tried to pass a law similar to ours in Texas, and it failed because of organizing for America, the Obama uh, PAC now, which was his his old campaign. Uh, And and the folks there really had a leg up until the very end, until the last push, and it it failed by 55%. Now, this is very disheartening. Anyone that thinks abortion at 20 weeks or beyond is okay – uh, is really outside of the mainstream. Uh, but where I'm going with this is I'm real proud with what we've done here in Texas. Folks need, need to push uh, similar laws throughout the country. This, this is something that will work. Abortion at 20 weeks, I mean, uh, there, are, there, are, there are children being born at 19 weeks now and surviving. Uh, there's just simply no need to be ab- aborting a child. If you can't make up your mind within five months, uh, you shouldn't be doing it in the first place, but if you can't make it up with, within five months, uh, it's just, as Kirsten Powers said, it, it's tantamount to, to infanticide. Uh, mm-hmm. And for the Texans sure. that are listening, uh, you know, I would just go one step further. Uh, if not for our lieutenant governor, who is a good man, uh, inherently a good man. I know him. I've met him, talked to him. He's a good man, but he's outlived his usefulness. It was his mismanagement of our Senate that allowed Wendy Davis uh, to, to uh, successfully filibuster this bill and take it beyond the midnight, uh, whereas uh, another leader or another gentleman that's running for, for lieutenant governor this year, Senator Dan Patrick, on the other hand, would, would have probably managed the Senate clock a little bit better, as well as the fact that he is the gentleman that, that co-authored and, and got passed our pre-abortion sonogram bill, bill here in Texas. So, People, the point here is, and I am not don't want to get into the politics of it and, and say right, who, right. who you should Let's go vote for in our primary, but people need to pay attention to who they put in at their state, uh, state into their statewide and Senate districts and House district offices. Absolutely. Uh, we do need to pay attention to everybody who is running for office. The stakes are higher than they've ever been for pro-life because, um, like I said, I mean, we, we on one side want to dismiss the issue completely and say, let's not talk about that. It's kind of embarrassing. We have Republicans that are running away from this. And on the other hand, we have Democrats that are pushing the gas pedal 
on whatever they can get their hands on, grasping at everything, pushing for everything that they can get. They seem to be full steam ahead, and, uh, you know, if this is a tug of war, the one who wants it more is the one who's going to get it. So, well, let's not forget uh, they have successfully they have successfully coined and, 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 and changed the conversation, and they now call murder uh, women's health rights issues. Right. We have to redefine this back to what it is. It's murder, plain and simple. It's murder of human life. Uh, that, that fetus isn't going to be born a whale or a, a stalk of broccoli. It's going to be born a human. Uh, right. It right. is human Definitely. from conception is my belief. We have to define. We, we can't be the conservatives of old where we say, okay, you know what? I don't believe in abortion, but if you want to do it, that's fine. We have to be bold. We have to be unequivocal, and we have to be very vocal. And we can win this battle. We are winning this battle. Polls show that America is coming around. Americans are coming around, and there's varying degrees, but we can win this battle. But God bless you guys. Padre, uh, good to talk to you. I'll I'll, uh, be tuning in to you guys. All right. Thank you for the call. And, um, yeah. I mean, as far as PLFR is concerned, Pro-Life Fridays Radio and myself, Thomas, and Melissa, we are going to be staying on top of kind of the developments as as much as we can. And uh, we really rely on the other, everybody else in the entire pro-life community at at large uh, to keep us all informed and we will pass on information that we know. We will get involved wherever we can. Uh, it's going to take a team effort for all of us across the country. So, um, yeah, thank you for that reminder. Now comes the, uh, I say it's the icing on the cake. But oh, well, before I get there, before I get there, um, we do have another moment. And I'm beginning to love these because I get to gloat. So it's gloating time. I might add this as a part of the show. Can I do that? Can I add a gloating section for myself? <laughs> uh, well, it's just, you know, remember when several months ago I seemed to be, at least I heard my own self say this, and I didn't hear anybody else say this, that when Plan B went up for uh, a countrywide distribution at your local pharmacy or your local drugstore without a prescription or any way of being able to verify who is buying Plan B right off the shelves of Walgreens, that I would say I would not be surprised if camera after camera would catch how many men would be buying Plan B. Remember I said that? Do you remember I said that? I remember I said that. I think I lost my co-host. <laughs> yes, I remember this show. <laughs> hey, I'm looking for gloating validation here. You're going to validate my gloating. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Apparently, yes. that's exactly what has been happening because because groups have gone into drugstores and have tested the system how many guys are, how many men can buy Plan B. And just like it's a, it's a wide open door, anybody can buy by Plan B. We even had um, examples shown on video where a few teenagers decided to tape their 
visit to their local drugstore and was able to buy, they had, they kind of tested the system. They went and got a box where the Plan B drug was, and they went and got Sudafed. Guess which one they were carded on? Oh, no. Not, not Plan B. Oh, no. And so they wow. kind of said, well, we don't have ID. Uh, can we still buy these items anyway? And the store, the salesperson had said, well, you can buy the, without an ID, I can't sell you the Sudafed. Wow. But you can go home. But they could go home with the Plan B. Uh, unbelievable. And there's video of men purchasing Plan B. Like I said, this is this is a gateway. This is a doorway. This is an open red flag sign saying, you know, drug to help you abuse young girls. That's what Plan B yeah. is for. I mean, they might as well put that right on the bo- the box. You know, cover up your crime with Plan B. Like I said, right. it's going to happen, and it's happening. So. There we go. And then we're on to the, the stupidest thing ever. And I found this, and I love it because it not only is the stupidest thing ever, it is the craziest thing ever. It is the rage. If you have a teenager or a young child between the ages of 8 and 15, this is what your children are listening to. But right off the bat, I'm going to thank God this is what they're listening to. It may not be all they're listening to, but I'm, I'm glad it is, but it is pretty stupid. Here's a clip. I'm pointing nose, chasing my sand, digging holes, tiny parts up the hill. Suddenly you're standing still. Your firm smell so beautiful, like an angel in disguise. But it's to me. A friendly host Where he communicates by more oh 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 you speak to that? oh 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 What does the fuck say? Mm. So uh, 
this is this is a thing. This is a thing, and I, I like I said, I, I pray and I thank God that there is no language or, or anything objectionable to this video, because uh, these two comedians have other videos. They decided it was such a big hit they were going to make others, <laughs> and those we couldn't play those on Pro Life Fridays Radio. Let me just tell you that was a, to a those are to a whole new age group. And we would, we don't, I, like I said, I don't have a bleeper and I don't have a ding button on my soundboard, so I wouldn't be able to play it. And I wouldn't play it anyway, because it would just be one long bleep after that. But it is pretty funny stuff. Uh, but after listening to this, uh, I feel like I have lost a few brain cells, and so it, it earns our mark today as the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> is that what you got out of that? <laughs> Yeah, that I'm, I feel stupider, yeah, now. Thanks, Leticia. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we don't have we we have stupidest thing ever segments here to show how things outside of uh, ourselves we think are stupid. We don't haven't had anything so far that has made us feel like we're stupid or for listening to it. But there's a first yeah. for everything, so there you go. <laughs> so um, with that. Uh, Next week is Thanksgiving weekend. We may have a a surprise broadcast, but right now we are going to call it a vacation. But keep in mind, uh, keep paying attention to our Facebook page. We may have some special Thanksgiving offering for Pro-Life Fridays Radio next weekend. Just never know uh, right now. So, but stay tuned. We will be back definitely in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And have a good night. So good night, Melissa. Good night, Thomas. Good night, everyone. God bless. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. All right. What the fuck?